welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And I think we're really excited for what we're talking about today. We're talking about Insidious Chapter 3, which I'll mention right here. Normally, I'd... uh, I'd mentioned our guest. Uh, we were supposed to have Mitch on again. He's he's kind of on a bit of a streak, but uh, we set up a timing and he just isn't here. Liam, I don't know about you. I feel like I haven't heard from Mitch in a couple days. No, no, I haven't heard from him either. Um, normally, I don't talk to him at all, actually. But a few <laughs> days ago, a few days ago, he he messaged me out of the blue. And so I figured it would be about the show because, like, we're kind of, you know, we're on, we're on this thing. We got a third honorary co-host, kind of like that member of Nirvana that joined near the end. And I got a message from him, and it just said that he was going to the store to pick up some bread. Yes, he said you the got, same thing to me. You got the same thing. He's like, I'm just going to, I'm really excited about this bread I'm going to go get. And then yeah. that was it. So I don't know if he, like, if something broke bad with the bread, he wasn't able to get the bread, and he's just upset about that. Um, he went on in a snowstorm, didn't come back with the bread. So I guess we're not going to hear from him today. Maybe ever. I mean, is this normal uh, for him? Um, Should we do something? Maybe at a time in his life it was, but it certainly isn't anymore. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's we could probably check in with a couple people just to see if everything's cool. Um, check in I with was, the bread man. Check in with the bread man. Uh, I was curious to see what he was going to have to say about this movie, so... I mean, his safety aside, it's really more of a loss for us if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, the listeners are suffering more than anyone else. I mean, yeah, like, this would have been a fun one. You know, his girlfriend and his family and whatever. This is really about the content, and we're not really getting the content we thought we were going to get. But you know what happens. But something that we can be excited about, Liam, Insidious Chapter 3. Fuck the Insidious franchise quick. Let's start with our boy. It's Lee Winnell. He's back in the mix. Look at that, oh. yeah. What the <laughs> Liam? Can you hear that? <laughs> Holy shit. Yes. Oh boy. Sorry I'm Mitch. Mitch! Where oh, the fuck shit. have you been? Oh, I was just eating my bread in the other room. You gotta try it. It's this flat bread. It's the size of my like I I could I could put it underneath me and sled down a hill. It's an incredible flatbread, but yeah, it no. It took you days to procure this flatbread. Like what have you been doing? Well, I've well, I've been eat, you know hanging out, working, uh, eating <laughs> eating the flatbread. But I'm I'm here now to talk about it. Sorry, I'm late. I feel like I'm always so disrespectful when I sign off this show, but I, I really don't mean any disrespect. But it's you know it's wonderful to be on the show. Mitch, I cried for you, bro. Oh shit! Well, we've had, we've had a bit of an emotional. Um... I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything. I've just been you know I've been having a lot of fun with this bread. Wait, wait, wait. So you got the bread and then you watched the movie with the bread and you still didn't tell us? No, no. I didn't watch the movie with the bread. I watched um I watched um the movie um before that. I got the bread the next day. And that's just what been your life ever since? Yeah. Have you been it's like so big, like I've just been eating it. Bread that is never it, ends. Is it special bread or is it just big? It's just a big flat bread. It's like uh, I can <laughs> yeah. put it down like a surface rug. It's so big. But you're okay. Like nothing happened. No, no, I've never been better. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on the show, fellas. Sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to delay anymore. Yeah, no. Uh, 
happy to, happy to have you for uh, i guess man i don't know if i should be happy, excited uh, or hurt um, um well i mean i'm still not totally over this bread thing so if i seem like i'm spaced out i'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to get this back on the rails here um it's what a professional would do so liam and i have talked before we haven't seen upgrade which is the other movie that he's directed but he obviously writes a lot he's acted in several things he works with james wan a lot so i guess the question i'll put to the floor next before we get to insidious specifically is do you guys know a lot of like either anything that he's maybe written like saw or whatever or any like james wan stuff that is kind of related liam what about you first we'll give him yeah. some time with his fucking bread <laughs> Yeah, he need, he needs a breather after each sentence to return to his bread. Um, yeah, I've I've seen Saw, the first Saw, which is uh, the one that you know he totally did with James Wan. I think that was his the Saw film where he had the biggest input because after that point you get different directors in the Saw movies, and uh, um, you know he he might have written some stuff, done some story stuff, but the, the franchise sort of got away from them and got away from me too. I, I haven't seen a lot of those later sequels, but I've seen the original Saw. Um, I remember when Dead Silence came out in 2007, which was uh, their follow-up to the Saw franchise. Um, uh, they had to write it and produce it really quick. And so I've heard Lee Winnell say that he hold him he like held himself up in a hotel room and just had to pump the thing out in a really short amount of time and uh they they just he he made himself write the movie really and i don't i got the impression he's not very proud of it um it's one that i could definitely revisit but from back then i remember it being just kind of a creepy uh a creepy little horror movie um about puppets um and then when insidious came out you know that was that was a big mainstream horror movie uh so my friends and i went to go see it um I had, a, I had a really good time with that first insidious movie in fact uh the other neil friend of the show um he went with me and also friend of the show cakey was there um, really quick i like how he's the other neil even if final neil has not come up that's right well, like he can't uh, just be neil <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should call him the first Neil because he was sure. on the show before. Yeah, so I went with the first <laughs> Neil. Um, and the first Neil, he he watches horror movies with me for sure. I mean, we were, we were sleepaway camp fans. Um, but he uh, some of the some stuff still gets under his skin, right? I mentioned in the Scream episode that some stuff in Scream Theory really creeped him out. And when we saw Insidious, I hope he's okay with me saying this because I'm about to say it. Um, I'd say the last half hour of insidious the last 45 minutes he could not look at the screen he was looking at me the entire time because <laughs> he just couldn't face the screen i've been there man and i was kind of describing uh what was happening on the screen to him as quietly as i could um and it was just it was a total so, so, blast so you see this part's really scary <laughs> Woo. um and then and then beyond that you know insidious is just a franchise that i sort of followed because it was it was just a big thing like i it was never a favorite movie of mine because I've, I've never been super into paranormal movies ghost movies um but when a new one would come out no I'd paranormal watch it. activity for liam folks i wish i could say that Corey, but uh we'll get to paranormal <laughs> we'll, activity we'll save that point. for another day <laughs> <laughs> i have thoughts um i saw insidious chapter two in the theater i don't remember much about it but i definitely saw it and then i saw insidious uh I'll just get right into it here. I saw Insidious Chapter 3 um, in August of 2017. So two years after the movie came out, I didn't see it in the theater, but I, I finally caught up to it. And uh, 
and then I haven't seen the fourth Insidious movie. But it's it's just a big franchise of like my high yeah. school years, so I just kind of kept up with it out of obligation. And then Invisible Man came out, and I, you know, I'll rehash this really quick for people that haven't heard the episode. And it I knocked wa- our socks clean off of our feet. That's right. Yeah, I wasn't expecting much um, because uh, I saw the trailer. I didn't. I didn't like the trailer. Um, also, you know, I didn't hear good things about the mummy, <laughs> and I thought it might be a similar sort of thing. But I was interested that Blumhouse was doing Tom it. Cruise mummy. To be clear, this is not Brendan right. Fraser Slater. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I uh, also, you know, Lee Wanell, he's been involved with like sort of a uh, ghosty sort of stuff, Dead Silence, Insidious, and the Saw movies. All things that like I. I like just fine, but none of those are really big movies for me. So I wasn't expecting to to get blown away by Invisible Man, and I absolutely was. I've seen it again since, and it holds up. And so Invisible Man is so good that it has me um, interested to see everything he's done uh, with new eyes. You know, I haven't seen Upgrade. Uh, I have high expectations for that see one. Upgrade. Yeah, like, yeah. What are we doing? High expectations for that one. And then I specifically put Insidious Chapter 3 on our list over Insidious Chapter 4 um, because I figured they're both deep enough in the franchise that people don't really think about them all that often. Um, so we might get to Insidious The Last Key at some point, but I put down Chapter 3 because I knew it was his directorial debut and I thought that might be fun coming off of Invisible Man. So uh, that's where I am. I'd say I'm a new lee Wanell fan um and so i was excited to to get this first dip back into his career now that i've been become a convert yeah no totally i think i think that's cool and um i want to make sure that mitch has as much time as possible with his big house-sized flatbread so i'm going to give a quick rundown just because mine's a lot shorter i think um i have not seen the insidious movies nor have i seen like the adjacent contemporary horror kind of like crop of films like the conjuring and like the annabelle ones which might be related are those the ones that are related yes conjuring okay. and annabelle are related i okay. like that you kind of lump all those in together because i do the same thing with insidious and conjuring and yeah they're both directed by james wan which is yeah. crazy i feel so. like i feel like sinister goes in there too you know just like they're all kind of they occupy the same space in my brain uh as films i have not seen so that's what that means for me and um <laughs> James Wan wise with them sort of collaborating. Uh, I've definitely seen the first saw at some point. Couldn't tell you when. I don't know. I saw Aquaman. I know James Wan did Aquaman. Yes, I saw Aquaman too. I like <laughs> Aquaman. Aquaman's fine. You know, it's whatever. I, I like the fact that it's like <laughs> the funniest line of dialogue anyone has ever said in a movie <laughs> is, is you will never be Ocean Master. <laughs> you you will never you will never be ocean master dude no (laughs) welcome back um okay mitch do you want to take over here because i don't know if i'm gonna get over this whole ocean master bit so for me um again kind of limited experience um I don't know. I don't really watch too many modern films, but well, laddie, no, no. I don't mean to say that. Like, I don't mean to sound like an ass. I just don't. But I do. I have seen like The Conjuring, and I've seen I've seen the first Saw movie, and I've kind of like seen parts of the others. I don't know. Um, they don't seem like your 
kind of movie. Is that a fair assessment? Like, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, I've seen I've seen the first Insidious, and I've seen I think I saw the second one too, but I don't I don't remember very much of it. Um, but yeah, and I've now I've had the pleasure of seeing Insidious three. So uh, here I so am. Now, you know, you're dipping your toe in. We're finally getting you to get a little bit outside of your very uh, esteemed, uh, historically sensitive wheelhouse. Yeah, and, I wouldn't um, think it's just old. Like they're all. <laughs> <laughs> I, you watch plenty of old shit. It just happens to be old. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I like that we're sort of getting finally getting you to do something on the show that is like a little bit further removed from what you'd normally check out, even if it's something that I also haven't really checked out. I do think that I, if we were to rank who would be most likely to like this movie, it's probably Liam than me than you, just in terms of like overall taste. Yeah. Um, and that's a very surface level kind of assessment of that, but generally, I think that's where we're kind of coming from. So I'm excited to see what you ended up thinking about it. And once again, Liam is occupying the uh, the experienced viewer role here, um, because he always is when it comes to the horror movies, of which we do many. He's just well studied. It's what he does. <laughs> I'm working on my essay about uh, Insidious <laughs> Chapter 3 right now. So we've talked about it a little bit already, but of course, Lee Winnell wrote and directed this movie. Uh, a little known fact that we have not yet discussed, that we have not yet discovered, no, that we have not yet discussed about Lee Winnell. Liam, he has a voice role in the movie Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. Huh. Is that a They Made Another One movie? Is that a sequel? Ah. Uh... I don't think so. I've never heard tell of it. It's an animated owl movie that I thought I was also doing this joke with you, but um, Gahul is spelled G-A apostrophe H-O-O-L-E. And that's deeply <laughs> hilarious to me. That's my and, kind of like, someone, wrote, someone wrote it out phonetically just so they knew and then it, they forgot to change it. It stayed. So uh, maybe we'll have to find a way to address that sometime. Gahul uh, like an old like Gaelic reading or something. Yeah. <laughs> Gahul is like the name of an it's like the name of a sunken ship. Yeah. <laughs> In a Dr. Seuss uh, book. Uh, knock on wood as we pass the graves of the crew of the dreaded Gahul. They died with their boots on. <laughs> they died eating an enormous flatbread. <laughs> <laughs> they thought wow, it was way to come at Mitch like that, Corey. <laughs> Overwhelmingly large flatbread. Yeah, like originally it was the life raft, but eventually they got kind of hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than cannibalism, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, um, that's, dude, if you had a massive flatbread as a lifeboat and your your ship capsized and you had to use it, how long do you think you would last before you ate the whole lifeboat I wouldn't and, eat and any died? of the bread because the bread's too wet and that's gross. I what guess if, the first one to go. What if it were dry <laughs> bread, Liam? Is that what you were going to say? What if it were water-resistant bread? That's right, yeah, yeah. So it's either eat the bread and not have a lifeboat or or you got a lifeboat, but my stomach no has bread. a finite amount of space so i could probably go for a while hang on is this a salt water or a fresh water sinking of the gahool do i have condiments <laughs> well, like you want to you want to put mustard on your flatbread <laughs> well i mean like i'm just asking what was the ship hauling oh it was hauling uh mustard <laughs> well good news for me <laughs> i love mustard on my yeah. flatbread that's it that's all you gotta put on there you gotta you can spell your name you can spell Gahul. 
<laughs> All right, okay, okay you, you take it, Corey. Back at you. Let's throw it back over to Corey. <laughs> Wait, with what? What am I supposed to do? Okay, oh, you were about you were about to you were about to do the actual show, and Sorry. then I we got so about far back. away from it that I didn't know where I was. The movie was shot by uh, Brian Pearson, who we heard about literally like three weeks ago, um, because he did My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> oh, what's up? Uh, and also uh, the Butterfly Effect Two, which if I didn't mention before, I'm mentioning now, so we put it on the list. Oh, it's on the list, baby. Well, there we go. Edited maybe, by... maybe it'll come up later on the episode. <laughs> maybe it will. It's edited by Timothy Alverson, who uh, edited Halloween 2018, will have edited Halloween Kills, also Orphan, which we love on this show, and uh, Sinister 2. Oh, you know what? That is not on the list. Thank That's you, why man. I mentioned these. And uh, the music is by Joseph Bashara, who has a lot of work with James Wan, including some Insidious movies, some Conjuring movies, Annabelle and aquaman and um unfortunately joseph bashara also did not become the ocean master pause for laughter <laughs> sorry speaking of people that did not become ocean masters here's the cast of the movie um oh my god it's so funny why the fuck is his name ocean master anyway lynn shay is in this movie she's elise she's in all kinds of shit she is known just like, you know, everybody's favorite Lynn Shea film, Critters. I, I like her in Critters, and uh, I like her in Dead End, too. And she's, she's also good. apparently in a, a Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, which I didn't yeah. know. Oh, yes. Yeah, she totally is. And she's in um, Detroit Rock City. She's a new nightmare. She gets around. There's something about Mary. Um, so cool that she got that career resurgence from Insidious, though. Because she's, yeah, you know, she's, she's done doing stuff, but, but this is really, like, brought her in, and she's... Uh, She's you know, back. She, I think she's the star of the fourth movie, and so like she, she yeah. is arguably the star of this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like, re- really. She's the really best cool. part of this movie. Uh, well, Mitch, hold your horses. Eat your flatbread. <laughs> I gotta get through the rest of the cast. <laughs> Shut up and eat your bread. <laughs> How dare you talk about the movie on this, on this episode about the movie, Mitch? You will never be podcast master. I suppose you're right. I'll always just be uh, a <laughs> guest that enter exit stage left. And- You'll be the bread boy. <laughs> um, Dermot Mulrooney as dad. Stephanie Scott is <sighs> Quinn, who was on a Disney show, I guess. Uh, Ant Farm, or maybe A-N-T Farm, because there's like periods between the letters. That's, I think that was after our time. Um, yes, yeah. Saw it on the guide, but uh, I was out of it at that point. Also, the remake of Gem and the Holograms, which of course we can put on the list now that it has come up. And uh, to give a quick rundown of everybody else, Angus Sampson, Lee Winnell is in the movie, Haley Kyoko, Tate Burney, Michael Reed McKay, Tom Gallup, Steve Coulter, Phyllis Applegate, who Mitch. Oh, yes. Is familiar with. <laughs> I, I point this out only so I can talk about Black Dynamite. Which Mitch has saved on a PlayStation as the only movie on one of his PlayStations. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because every time I see her, I think of that. And I don't know if that's like the cinematic legacy she was hoping for, but big fan. She's in that movie and she's she's very good. Ashton Moyo. Uh, Elay or Ellie? Keats? I'm not sure. Tom Fitzpatrick, Adrian Sparks, Phil Abrams, Ruben Gar- Garfius, um, Amaris Davidson, Garrett Ryan, and Joseph Bashara, who also did the music for the movie, shows up. This is a movie 
about well it's about grief mostly mm-hmm. but in more in a more tangible sense um it is about a demonologist um who gets sought out <laughs> what that's not wrong I'm no not, and you're totally right deep. but i love <laughs> I I love that you're like you're like for the first time since I can remember you're like so thoughtful and deep about this movie. It's all about (laughs) grief. It's also about a demonologist. It is. These movies have themes, Liam. Not all of them are this blatant about it, though. I guess so. Yeah. Um, Also, I'm using the word demonologist only because somebody else used it on the Wikipedia. In the movie, she's a psychic. I don't know why they say demonologist, but it made me laugh. Yeah, I don't think that comes up in the movie. Um, I don't think it does either. Uh, but Quinn is sad. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that that way. That sounds stupid. Quinn is a teenager. <laughs> Stop laughing. Same thing. <laughs> Stop. Okay, I need to start this whole sentence over because this is not working. So, Quinn, right? She comes in. She's got a dad. He's like a Disney Channel dad. And he's uh, he moves around. He's got the ideas. She's messaging on the Zoe 101 phone, but she's sad. <laughs> because her mother, her mother, God rest his soul, joins the recently departed. Right? And... Uh, you know, God love her, she wants to uh, to talk to her because she's on the other side, right? The further. So she um she goes to the demonologist and she says, Listen, uh, I'd like to talk to my mother. Uh here's a quarter, hello operator, you know what to do. And uh you know, carries her over, she does it. Maybe it is a demon, maybe it isn't. But uh something no, I think it very clearly is. Something's not right. I think it's pretty. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty serious. It's pretty serious. It's uh, it's not exactly uh, you know, somebody going door to door, uh, selling you light bulbs or religion. It's a demon, and uh, hate when that happens. Yeah. So um, you know, that's pretty much what happens. The demon gets too close. You've got the drama. They get the demonologist, and uh, that's your story. The demonologist has drama. But I do. I, you know, I'm not going to do a better job. So, uh, I think that's it. I think we got it in one. Does it deserve more respect? Cut and print. All right. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to eat my bread. Enjoy. You okay, eat so, that bread more often, Mitch. That's, that's, the, that's the movie in a, in a nutshell. Um, the only thing we missed is that you need to look both ways before crossing the street. Mm. Other than that, I feel like we're kind of covered. Oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot. I neglected that part. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Quinn is uh, conveniently targeted by demons at a point when she cannot move on her own after getting just um, hit by the loudest car in the history of cinema. It's so loud. It's PG-13 uh, loud. It is. Exploitatively loud of a a gag for a jump. This movie uh, is full of things that are what I am now going to steal the phrase PG-13 loud. Um... (laughs) And that is why she is sort of readily available to be sort of haunted by demon, demons and specters and whatever. That's essentially it. Um, I I was like, I was pretty excited for this movie, largely just because, like, I don't know, fan of the director. But I didn't have necessarily, like, hugely high expectations. And I know Liam has seen it, so he we 
his isn't really it's not so much about expectations as it is like how it's sort of aged in your mind's eye but mitch did you have any major expectations i know this isn't really your uh forte typically no it's it's not my forte but um you know i had had fun watching like the first insidious movie i really don't like i said i don't recall it the second i know i've seen it but i don't know i kind of group it in those horror movies with like a ambiguous adjective in the title and uh, and there you go but <laughs> I, I enjoyed the first one enough and um so i was like i was like down to see it i was just like ah like i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this on like i'm perhaps I wasn't giving it like the due reverence it deserved, but I had in the back of my mind who it was by and, you know, I watched it and um, there were ideas in it that I liked. Like I liked that it, that it had to do with grief and, and I think it's drawing from genuine fears and, and emotional fears, like the fears of losing someone and the need to sort of get closure with, with those ideas. And it, it, it draws on some interesting things and also the, the notion of, you know, being, I guess like entrapped with a demon and being physically injured and you, you can't, you can't leave or just, just this very threat of being injured and how that makes you vulnerable. But, um, I don't know. I just think that a lot of it was sort of rushed and lazy and undeveloped and I didn't like, like the, a lot of the script. So I think <laughs> at the core of it, there's some great things, but yeah. Liam was not joking when he said, this is the fastest we were going to just get to the themes of a movie on this podcast. Usually we start kind of superficially and then get into it later. But yeah, we're here and we're we're talking about themes. Truly, this is a, a film dis- a film class discussion group. Considering we spent so much time talking about bread, I think it all evens out. <laughs> we owed the audience to getting right down to business. So let's get more down to business. Extremely down to business. Let's become business master, Liam. Both How of us? You, we share the business in master role. In God we crust. In God we crust, LLC. And now we sell the bread. Anyway, I don't know. Liam, did you like this movie the second time you saw it? Which was this one? Well, why don't I start with the first time I saw it, Corey? You know Um, what? Yeah, you're right. You know what? You're podcast master now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we share the business master uh, (laughs) title. So you knew to push it over to me. And then I knew that uh, we got to go chronologically. I'm, I'm the business master because I got the bread. (laughs) <laughs> he, he does have the bread we can't we can't dispute that oh, what the right. fuck am i man you're the business master oh i'm also the business master and the podcast master oh my gosh okay right. i'll be ocean master i've had it with the squabbling of titles let's go <laughs> okay okay um so i i saw this movie august 2017 i had checked my list and that is definitely when it was so that would have been uh almost four years ago at this point and um Dude, I'd say that the movie faded from my mind by August of 2018, maybe late August 2017. It came and went quick. So I don't remember why I decided to watch the movie when I did, because it it would have already been two years removed. Um, I remember the room I was in as I watched the movie. I don't remember if my nephew was beside me in the room, but he probably was. And I would say I'd say that's why I watched the movie was... uh, um I, I we wanted to watch a horror movie together he would have been 
he would have been about eight or nine classically years old too young at the time that's right yeah um <laughs> i'm sure he had seen the first one as well uh you had shown him dramatically more fucked up shit before he was nine so it's I true think he's gonna be fine <laughs> it's true yeah and so maybe this was on netflix at the time or something maybe it just got added and so i put it on um and i i remember um really not being uh taken by it at all i just thought it was a very very standard ghosty movie um and i forgot about it very quickly you know if not if not for the vague memory that i have seen the movie i I wouldn't have known that i'd seen it because i couldn't tell you what happens to the main character in it i couldn't tell you what the main bad person looks like uh the various sets and stuff so it faded from my mind very quickly um and i just thought it to be a forgettable though uh um fairly competent movie um just not for me and and so um i don't think i ever would have seen it again had we not done this podcast and had lee winnell not put out the invisible man because uh um at the time his name didn't mean anything to me you know i i i thought it was interesting that he was like taking over the franchise from james wan his bro that's cool but it was his directorial debut um and uh i I didn't i didn't know then what i know now and so knowing the invisible man hype i I was excited to go back to it because i was thinking maybe i uh overlooked some stuff maybe i wasn't in the mood because 2017 was a weird time uh the movie could have just passed me by um maybe uh i wasn't as accustomed to the art of like mainstream jump scares as i am now because three and a half years is a a lot of time and i think i appreciate uh, a lot more uh movies now and different elements of movies I'm, i'm more attuned to them and so i was excited to check this out again though i i i was wary um because of where i had been previously but because uh you know texas chainsaw massacre next generation blew me away second time around um i was i was thinking that maybe this is gonna do that to me as well and so i put it on and uh i am sad to say that it basically landed in the exact same place for me I think it's uh, it's not uh, as weighty a movie as I thought it could be um, based on what I know Lee Winnell is now capable of and also how the movie starts. I think this movie starts really expertly. Um, it doesn't begin with a cold open jump scare as so many movies do. It gets right into the character work. We were setting up a backstory for this protagonist who I think is... Um, played very likably by uh, the main actress. I think uh, it's it's really admirable that this movie takes a while to get into the scares and really sets the stage with uh, this family who's grieving over the loss of uh, the the mother. Um, but I think by the final. I would stretch it to like the the final hour of this movie. I guess that's the second, not good. The, the, the movie's <laughs> only ninety minutes long. That's right. Yeah, I'd say that's, the that's bad news bears. I'd say the second and the third act sort of start to devolve, and um, it's not it's not mindless. Um, or, may, or maybe honestly, I think it is a bit mindless, but it's not without merit. I can I've I've heard um, 
many people that really like this movie. Um, in the last day since I watched it, I've just I've done some reading to say, oh man, what am I missing here? Um, this is my second time around, and I still feel the same. What's going on? And I've found people that really, really like this movie. Um, you know, people that uh, I um, often align with their views, um, and and they're just really loving it. And I'm not there, and so uh, part of me wonders, you know what it is that's not connecting with me but also i i really paid attention here and i just think the movie um ends up being sort of just a a spook fest that um doesn't quite connect with me it feels like a it feels like a haunted house and not like a a haunted house in a movie haunted house it feels like a haunted house that you go to in like high school and people are standing in the wings like playing their scary part and then you move on to the next scary part and it's just things that are jumping out made to startle you um and i I, i'll reiterate that i'm not really a paranormal movie guy i'm not really a, a ghost guy um and so you know we've talked about slasher movies that i think do quite uh like an analogous thing here but because slasher movies are are more of my preference um they work on me better um so maybe that's what's happening but uh um so what you're saying is we should have given the demon a knife (laughs) that's right that's right but that's what i'm getting out of what you've said is that about right that's i yeah yeah sure (laughs) um but I think The Conjuring is far more effective of a ghost movie. And so the ghost movies, they're not totally uh, a loss for me. I mean, The House on Haunted Hill, that just pulled a 180 on me because I I was less I was less into House on Haunted Hill the first time I watched it. And then coming back for the podcast, I was really impressed. And so um, I thought maybe this would happen here. And I would say that is not quite what happened. I would... Um, just to clarify where I'm at, I'd say this is like a, a four out of 10, maybe a Ooh. five out of 10. Um, and, you know, I'll articulate why I think that as we go on, but I feel like I'm, if I'm not articulating where I'm at quite so well right now, that's, that's where I'm at. I fact. would even put it lower, honestly, if we're going to, if we want to get numerical about it, I would, I would say like four, three, yeah. four, that number Liam also said. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, would, I would think nothing. Of, <laughs> I would think nothing of going as far as like two and a half. Christ, yeah. right? Yeah, For, this man yeah. is a family. That's that's fair, Mitch. I'd say um, I'd say the more I think about it, the more the more I'm with you there. Yeah. So I don't think I'm as down on it as you guys are. However, um, I don't know if I like it, and and perhaps the biggest indictment I have is that I struggled to um. I I didn't feel like I was invested. Um, I think because while the movie is, I think, well-paced, and like Liam said, it gets straight to like the character work and building the emotional heart of the movie, it feels very perfunctory in the sense that like this is the most horror movie-ass horror movie bullshit. And while I think it has some interesting ideas relating like we're talking about to sort of um to grief and how people work through that and um you know the difficulty sometimes in in you know remembering and thinking back or wanting to reach out to people that aren't here anymore etc etc also the difficulty of fighting demons um which i think we all know 
to be a difficult task. Um, well, you need a demonologist. You do need a demonologist, and you know, thank God that we had one. Otherwise, this would have been a much tougher deal if you just had those like fucking Zach Baggins boys, yeah. those ghost hunting dudes. You just have a <laughs> DIY book and maybe like a how-to guide on the internet. You're in trouble. Yeah, I, uh, I, perhaps my greatest indictment is that I have very little response to the movie, like at all. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, some of the demons look very, very silly. <laughs> in, in, like, kind of a hilarious way. Some of the demons are, like, series iconography demons. Like, they're, like, legacy demons. Where you keep them around through a few different films. Like, you've got the bride. And uh, you've got, you've got like, you know, the, the demon with the red face who always shows up in time for the ending. Is uh, that what that's from? Because that is, like, one of the funniest yeah silliest dumbest things i'm pretty sure that's a calling card of the of the franchise yeah man. you're right you're right mitch um but yeah no it's just uh you know they've, they've got some legacy demons going on in here and i feel like if you haven't seen the franchise you might not uh appreciate the legacy demons i mean i don't think you're gonna appreciate any of the demons no, um, you're right, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Who am I kidding? <laughs> I mean, when I was I had more to say, but that's how Mitch feels. We probably asked and answered. But um I think my biggest thing is like this is a movie that we've seen like a hundred thousand fucking times. And it's I think somebody earlier used the word competent totally like you know three act structure down you know well acted yeah it's pretty good there are some pretty shots in it um there are sort of like um the seeds of stuff that you can see sort of played out later in the invisible man i feel like i visually anyway there's like one or two things maybe a couple more i don't know i didn't count but you can sort of see where he's going but i think a hamstrung by the rating uh as established every scare in this movie uh is more of a startle in a way that i I personally find just kind of annoying and that's part of the reason i feel like i haven't seen a lot of these like this particular crop of horror movies from the 2010s is because they're all just kind of that or i don't know if i want to blame the time period or bloomhouse or both uh because i imagine a lot of those are constants, but um, you're going to get startled by a loud noise, and then in the middle, there's going to be like emotionally salient things, but because it's sort of retreading horror movie stuff, um, there's not enough to elevate it beyond those particular things. There's a couple fun ideas. I, again, I think the ghost hunting thing is funny too, but I don't know. It sounds like it's written by an old person, like with the, with the dialogue and stuff. This is not how like a father and son or a, a daughter and uh, a daughter and father um, communicate. Like a lot of it just, it sounded like really cliche and just sort of like basic, like horror movie, like father, daughter tropes. It's just a basic performances. And it's just, it's, it's just, just, it's just a horror movie it just is like but down it, like it, to the, oh it's such a shame it shouldn't be i'm i'm absolutely with you mitch i was i was blown away at how cliche and corny i thought 
almost all the dialogue was, especially when stuff starts to get scary. And that really surprised me because um, I thought, okay, um, maybe it's just the the kind of standard ghost scares that you've got to do in this movie that left me feeling pretty flat because I think Lee Wanell, um, it's kind of a, a tough task to come in, make your directorial debut on the third movie in a franchise. You know, I know it was his friend James Wan that uh, started the whole series off and he's sort of, he's been around from the beginning. And so um, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for him to, to start and I see why he did it. But also I was thinking, okay, um, maybe he just didn't have enough space to to really tell something that he he wanted to. Um, and the Invisible Man offers more of that space, as does uh, Upgrade, I'm assuming, which sounds like a very original story. But then in watching this movie, I thought there was so much dialogue that I was like, holy moly, um, if, if you're... Is if- Lee Winnell the dialogue master? <laughs> no man he's not he'll never be but he is but i can't even well, say no, that he will never be dialogue master. i can't even say that because i and think then, the dialogue man he is dialogue master he's serviceable in that like he, he that's it's fine. Yeah, that's right but this this feels like the studio was like just totally rolled over him and was like we just need this like the standard horror movie stuff in here um and then you you can handle like the scary stuff but we'll put the dialogue in there i can't believe that someone who went on to do the the invisible man which is so clever in its plotting and in its dialogue in its characters would do something like this because i think the 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 artifice of having genuine characters is there at first but then these characters just reveal themselves to be total cliches as the movie goes on and that really really disappointed me yeah, it stinks it stinks of a rewrite and it stinks of it, i i honestly would be surprised if, if maybe everything he wrote was his or perhaps it was rushed but every single character not only feels like undeveloped but fundamentally out of touch with how people really talk and um and also just like fundamentally out of touch with with i think the relationships that are on the screen they they the people don't i think interact genuinely um i don't know and then i think that's kind of central for a horror film to work yeah i i didn't pick out the dialogue as such an egregious problem as you guys did at least not instantly um, thinking back in hindsight, I guess I can think of some things where it just it feels like something that is phrased in such a way for a movie to have like exposition in it as well as an emotional moment. Like when the dad is like, or Quinn is like, "Yo, why don't you talk about my dead mom?" And he's like, "I don't talk about that because it makes me sad, but also because every time I see your face, it's your mom's face," and it's like. Would would it be said so poetically, but also like weirdly passively? Yes, and that, that just brushed over. That felt so stilted, and it felt like um, that's an okay place for your conversation to build to. But I felt like it was some the, of the first, lines it was were his cut first out. Response. Yes, like, yes, and then he walks. He walks out of the fucking room, and he walks. Go get bread. He walks away, and then behind her, you see a picture of her mom. So it's like, oh, and also he sees her face in that picture that's in the house every day. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just like we've seen the setup too so many times of like person is stuck in a bed, demons or whatever, or ghosts or ghouls. And, yeah, um, 
demons, but she can't run away. What did you guys think of this movie's uh, little wrinkle that it makes our character immobilized in a wheelchair, sticks her in a bed, and, and makes her vulnerable that way? What did you think about that? I think um, thematically, I don't know if I'm reaching and saying that. Is it trying to make, if it's trying to make a point about how like grief itself can be immobilizing? or paralyzing or something that's difficult to get over and sort of locks you in one place. I like that on its own. Um, I think that's good. I like how um, she seems to have messed up her um, audition in part because she was like looking for the presence of her mom and of course got startled by a spooky demon. But um, that sort of consistency, I think I like the statement that it's trying to make. I like that as an idea, Uh, but it's like, we've seen it before and that's not inherently bad to have seen something before but i don't know if this did enough with that and i feel like it's also probably hampered by its rating because all you can really do is have like a demon like walk around or show up or like make some rattling in the walls or whatever um i guess it didn't feel like it built too much i i like it conceptually i suppose like and I think it works in the greater sense of the movie that they're making. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think that they could have it could have done so much more, even with what they had. If you had a more disciplined script and a more um, a more restrained director, uh, not that to say that, like I don't know. I mean, it's and how, again, it's it's, it's funny to say that because like the Invisible Man again is like the pinnacle of restraint. <laughs> Yeah, but I what I'm saying <laughs> you've got you've got like two beautiful like mid-century California homes. You've got a, a framework that's kind of interesting. You've got a pretty good like the the, the main central demonologist character is, is quite good. I think if you I think if you just didn't have it have its rating and I feel like you could have had like an appropriately sort of moody setting exploring those themes and it could have been a much better movie. I think this movie uh, should have just been about Elise. Yeah, because it it, it is it is in the second half, but just make the whole movie about her. And I've heard that that's what the fourth one does. The one okay. after this. So Okay, then why? Okay. Because I think, especially because they draw the parallel of like, Quinn is sad about her dead mom. Elise is sad about her dead husband. It's like, if you, you can still explore the grief thing separately, but I think if you structured it separately so... Quinn and her family were like the support to Elise having to get back on this horse basically and overcome the grief in that sense, which is basically what, like we said, the second half of the movie is about, but she never really fully is the protagonist. Maybe that would have helped. Um, Maybe. Yeah. I feel like I was, I, I was most captivated when she was on the screen. That's not to say that I don't think that they could have, they couldn't have done something special with the central story had it been more authentic. But I just think that what we saw was just a collection of as many cliches as you could put together. And I really like the scene where Quinn gets hit by a car. Yeah. Because what a bold fucking choice uh, to go from completely normal conversation scene. And this is like 12 minutes into your movie. Protagonist hit by a car, cut to surgery or hospital, like instantly. Yeah. Yeah, and especially she gets, she in a PG thirteen horror, she gets fucking <laughs> lit up by that car, and I was genuinely shocked. Like that, you know, it partially because again, it's the loudest car in existence, mm. and I was wearing headphones at the time. Um, I didn't wear headphones the rest of the movie because of how loud that jump scare was. 
but um this noise of it aside like i like that as like a sequence because it's so just jarring like what a good idea right there's the implication that her mother was like responsible driving the car no no no. like her mother was like like the ghost had like distracted her she's distracted by some sort of like I guess entity, and there is the implication that perhaps it's like the spirit of her mother, or it's this demon, or whatever it is. It's but, the demon. We know that, I think. Yeah, I suppose, but you don't really know at that point in the movie. I thought I thought that moment was awesome as well, Corey. I I think the um, I think Lee Wanell's mastery uh, that he would later go on to display in The Invisible Man um, is I feel so bad just bringing up the invisible man all the time. But. Here's the thing. So do I, but like when you crush it that hard, you better get ready for everything else you ever make or have made to get compared to that thing. Yeah. That's and, and just what happens. And you know, he, he got a few years of people just talking about this movie outside of the invisible man. Yeah. So. So, sorry, pal. <laughs> you made the invisible man. Um, yeah, I think the, just the way that that jump scare is set up is immaculate. I think the waving ghosts are like the scariest thing in this movie. Um, cause she sees one of them in the theater, uh, just a silhouette waving at her in a really creepy way. Um, like it's more of a, it's not quite a hello wave. It seems like more sinister, but that's all body language, or which is really it? cool. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> it feels a bit uh insidious too um and uh and then when you get the next one um you realize there's a pattern it's like okay this movie is about waving ghosts right now like that's what they're doing what's what's happening here and um uh this time as she's looking at the waving silhouette she doesn't look away like she does last time which is what uh in the theater allows the figure to disappear you know it's that old horror movie thing of a character looks away when they look back the figure's gone but she doesn't do that this time and so like in that five seconds of her noticing the silhouette waving and not looking away i was thinking despite having seen this movie before forgot all about this so i was thinking how are they about to resolve this because she's not looking away what is the payoff going to be um and i was worried for a second that it was going to do the whole um the camera is focused on the on the figure and then we get a shot of her looking at the figure and even though she doesn't look away when the camera returns to that spot the figure is going to be gone that's what i was worried was going to happen and um <laughs> before that gets a chance to happen the car just <laughs> absolutely creams her and it's so loud it's and so it's loud. and it's so early in the movie that you're thinking now i'm thinking holy shit how is this going to be resolved is she like did we just drew barrymore dispatch our main character and now we're gonna move on what's that gonna happen here and then um now in hindsight i'm kind of confused about what the motivation behind that car scene was besides just like the the startle of it all because you get that in so many other places in the movie i'm thinking is that just there to make her um immobile in 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 bed and in the wheelchair and i don't quite feel that that's the case because like you guys i don't think this movie does enough with the character not being able to move i think a whole lot of the scares <laughs> that happen uh could have basically been done um with her uh on her feet i don't think that it added a whole lot of tension something like uh um Annabelle Creation, which came out, I believe, the same year, um, has a character in it who uh, walks with um, 
two canes like strapped to her arms uh, because uh, uh, she can't move very well. And without those canes, uh, she can't walk. And so um, that movie actually uses that, I think, to a much greater effect. Like the, it's set up from the very beginning. That's just the way she is, which I think is cool. And then like you also get a really great scene in that movie where she uh, is trying to escape by using um, a chairlift on the stairs of this old gothic house. And, and something's coming for her and she's trying to use the lift, but it's not working. And, and that's like a really great set piece where I think, oh, shit, now it, it makes sense to me why they have uh this character who uh has that disability like cool representation aside it makes for a really great scare and i don't feel like this movie does that so it seems strange to me that we have a character that can walk at the beginning and but then she can't walk in the middle but we're not actually and uh, it doesn't feel that essential and then she can walk at the basically <laughs> at the end because she's like getting possessed and she can walk and stuff she literally like aggro kicks her casts off of her legs yeah, so it, it feels a bit uh, just confusing and unnecessary to me. And then, so then I'm thinking, did they just have her get hit by the car so she can have that near-death experience where she sees the demon in the darkness and then that's what uh, accelerates her possession? I was thinking, okay, is that now, like now that she's encountered that thing in the darkness, is that what's allowing it to be in our world? So apparently directly? not. Apparently, it's Elise just reaching out in the first place. Right. Yeah. So all that stuff sort of confused me. Like the whole dual protagonist angle, which I think is what this movie is trying to do. I feel like it ends up short, like undercutting both characters and and not giving each of them enough development i understand why they did it because like elise has been in these other two movies and now you're trying maybe trying to bring her into the protagonist role gradually while still telling another story and then that's why the fourth movie takes her entirely and makes her the protagonist but i think um both of them just end up suffering from it by the second and third act i don't feel like the the passing of the torch from one protagonist to the other and now like um uh quinn becoming the antagonist i don't think that stuff felt very natural to me you had to pick one and the movie doesn't pick one um to really build on i think something that the movie does have a little bit more of is um there are some like really uh compelling visuals or at least like good ones maybe like riffs on things that we've seen before but i love a good hallway shot a moody dark hallway very much stolen from the shining <laughs> well one of them is and that's clearly an homage it's not stealing uh, well yeah also shots of hallways are not stealing well no but it's, it's, they do lay it on rather thick but i, yeah, I, I but what, the carpet also is like shiningy yeah and i mean i, I was, know what they're doing I'm, i was kind of they also have like some evocative dialogue like i was shitting on it earlier but i mean there's that one line where it's like if you call out to the dead, all of them can hear you. And that I, I also wrote that down. Yeah. Like I think that like that sort of idea, I mean, that's sort of like the classic sort of, I guess, adage with anybody who talks to the dead or like, I don't know if you know anybody who's into Ouija boards or stuff like that, but I don't know. It sort of, it sort of plays into that sort of, sort of, I guess, discipline or whatever you want to call it. But it plays into that sort of classic idea. And so there's lots of sort of evocative lines like that that kind of make your 
hair stand up in a PG-13 way. But I mean, that, that sort of idea is, is in line is interesting. It's just a shame that they don't really develop that more. Um, speaking of good lines of dialogue, come on, bitch, screamed at a demon. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> We love that. <laughs> you So you actually like that, Corey? I can't, I can't tell. Oh, it made me laugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I, I guess I, I felt like that it's was like cool as shit. I love watching like a like a, a senior citizen scream at a demon. Yeah. Um I felt that was like so tonally inconsistent. I'm I'm it not is. that I'm not it that is. into like those eighties uh badass lines in in really any Liam, of Liam, didn't it, we all didn't we have this debate during the scream episode? Maybe? With the cop? And he says a funny line. He says like some Bruce oh, Willis joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck Bruce Willis. Yes. And then yes. I didn't I didn't I like that and you didn't like that? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and I think I think this is a similar thing where it just um I feel like it it undercuts the uh the seriousness that I thought the movie was doing, especially because um, I was already taken out of it a second before that because the the bride, who I think is that's a great design. I, I really love the way uh, that ghosty looks. Um, but uh, she says to uh, Elise, she says, this is how you die. And I just don't buy that like this ghosty thing would say it just feels so so cheesy to me why well, hey, i like i liked the the set uh i think it's cool that this is set in a apartment building and we have that hallway that's sort of uh that just feels um unique to this movie i mean a lot of haunted house movies uh around this time they're just set in an old looking big we need, house we need more haunted apartment movies we need to tap into that tower tower of terror vibe yes i really like that and i like the vacant apartment above them uh, that's dark and abandoned. I think that's a. I think that's a really cool. I really set. like Elise's house. Yeah, I really like where it is too. That also reminded me of Scream. Now that I've seen Scream and can be reminded of things. Yeah, um, yeah, right on the hill. Hey? Like the location, but also just like the like architecturally, stylistically. I'm sure they're in similar parts of the U.S. Like I'm sure they're purchased somewhere in California. Like, um, but like that. Some cool shots. I really like the uh, Lee Winnell has a thing for uh, using like in scene cameras, like when they're doing the security camera bit and um, they're like watching it on the screen that you can see it into the hallway and it'll cut to the hallway and it'll cut to them watching it. And then like Lee Winnell goes into the hallway. Like I like that as a bit. Um, I almost wonder with all the stuff that we're complaining about, I almost wonder if like. If it was like really intentional, like, is the audience just supposed to get that? Um, uh, let me find the words here that the audience is just supposed to be like, this is silly and kind of dumb, or do you think it was striving for that, like, really deep thematic resonance that it doesn't achieve, or was like, was it part of the point to be kind of silly do you have a thought mitch i don't know i feel like this movie just kind of is what it is like it's 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 um i don't i don't know if <laughs> i feel like it's just like not meant to be examined too closely or thought about too closely and not meant to be listened to too carefully and watch for an evening with your mates and then uh Eat a bunch of bread after. Eat a bunch of bread or popcorn or whatever you like. Like I, 
Yeah. When we're allowed to go to theaters again, Mitch, if you don't show up with like your jacket lined with flatbread, I'm gonna be so disappointed. Oh, it's gonna line the it's gonna line the, the garment. Like I'm gonna The streets will be paved. No, I'm gonna go to a tailor and just have it like so <laughs> oh, that's a good bit. What about you, Liam? Do you did you come up with anything for that, or do you yeah. think it's just kind of whatever? I think that it is trying to be taken seriously. Um, it's just a you know, it's just a feeling thing. Um, you know, who am I to say what the intent was? Like some some of these movies are so confusing, and then especially when you get into '80s movies where it's like they've got like a camp to them, but sometimes uh, you can't tell if the camp is intentional. But that's why we love them. Um, but uh, for this one, I, I think that it's supposed to be serious. I think that it's it's really going for thematic, emotional weight. I mean, you can really feel the attempt in a scene like um, when Elise is talking about her husband and uh, revealing yeah. what happened to him and the music is swelling. Um, and I think that every single scare is treated um, pretty seriously. It's just... Uh, um, if you're not either into that sort of scare or you're not, um, like, I, I think this movie is made to be a fun time at the movies for sure. For people that like ghost movies, this, this will thrill you. It's got, it's got the jumps every five or 10 minutes or so. And I think it is supposed to be fun in that way, but I also think, um, it is, uh, supposed to be scary fun like i think it's trying to scare you and and uh and you're supposed to have fun being scared but i think for me that the scares fall flat because and i think we should talk a bit a bit more about the scares because we've been talking a lot about the character work and the dialogue and stuff but i think the scares also fall flat in this movie and so it it sort of becomes uh a bit of a just a big flatbread it, it, it feels like this movie made with a with a scare quota in mind like it was like ah like here is our here is our like there's uh, a studio executive puffing on a cigar i guess it's jason bloom in the scenario <laughs> so he's puffing on a cigar with his feet up on a desk hey we gotta get more scares in here yeah here's my grand list of scares i'm gonna give it to the scribe um so once once we exhaust this list of scares the studio will shut down permanently so we've got an immobilization scare that's worth five points and then we've got the car scare. Now that's a whopping 50 points because it's a jump scare combined with the supernatural transcendent level scare. So, you know, that's a good scare. That's 50 points. We've got the, we've got like not the scare, but like the real feel good part where she calls the demon a bitch. And then uh, <laughs> you, you do get points for that. That's, that's a different kind of point. Like that's what we call like the superficial hell. Yeah. We got them on the run now kind of feel, which we need. We need that thrown in the mix. And then uh, what other kind of scares do we need fellas? Got to talk about we, the ending scare. That's oh, the maximum got, amount of points. We got real loud scares. We got real quiet scares that are still too loud. You gotta have them whimpering on the way out with a kind of ending scare like that. We, we got, we got the red band. Darth Maul, yeah. We Darth got. Maul. And, uh, yeah, just make sure he keeps his dual lightsaber blade at home. And then, uh, what other kind of... <laughs> I genuinely can't remember, earnestly, like, the reason I didn't have as much to say about the scares is because in my memory, they're all just 
oily footprints or something loud happens. Or the ceiling cracks. A ceiling crack scare is definitely only worth, like, one. That that scares me more as somebody who now, like, as an adult, doesn't want to have to pay for, like, repairs on things. Yeah, that, that scares me just having the landlord that I have. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And and we get that scare channeled through the movie. We, we do, get yeah, Dermot the Mulroney. is the scariest yeah. character. Yeah, who's going to fix my ceiling? And he, I don't know what to tell you, man. Oof, that is scary. A shit landlord like that? What if, I wish my landlord would go bump in the night more often. Maybe some stuff would get fixed around here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a knee slapper. <laughs> That's worth five points. <laughs> um, For me, the scares... Um, you know, like I, 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 I liked the ride for each of the scares, but I found myself deflated and disappointed at the end of each one. And mostly, I just found myself getting caught up in the in the why and the how, and not carrying on with the movie. And that really, um, that really bums me out because I'm not that kind of movie watcher. You know, whenever I watch a movie with someone and they start to point out like plot holes or say this could never happen or starts doing cinema sins you tune them out that's right i've i've never i've never been that kind of movie watcher my brain just doesn't really work like that where i'll i'm i'm a i'm a pretty slow thinker and so um normally i'm just along for the ride and uh and then at the end of it i can kind of make out how i felt about it and it's more like a, a gut instinct thing um but this movie i i constantly found myself questioning why something happened the way it did for example um when uh elise goes into the her basement um about halfway through the movie after saying uh the line i know you're not her mother she thinks you are but you aren't which is just so on the nose that's just so oh the my audience gosh. is keeping up yeah yeah well, um you carry so many books like, <laughs> you love books you must be smart like it's, so, it's, so so she goes down and and she's following these oily black footprints um which <laughs> doesn't even i don't remember if that's something from the first movie mitch i don't know if you recall that um i i don't i don't think so uh because a lot of the first movie takes place in the further where like you there's no need to have elements of the the dark world um shown up in ours so i think the oily footprints like i obviously understand why they're there um to 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 push the narrative forward and sort of be a a guide in these scary scenes but i found myself wondering okay how convenient is it that they have these oily footprints that they leave behind um that we follow uh and then she, so she follows these footprints down and then she lifts she follows them up to a wall where they stop and then they go up the wall, which is that's 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 pretty fucking cool. You wouldn't expect that. But then she lifts the flashlight and we just have the ghosty dude hanging upside down. And when the light shines on her, it like yells at her. And to me, that just feels so silly. Um, I like <laughs> I like slasher movies because like they feel realistic to me. And um, even at the very least, I'm able to understand motivation a lot better, and the scares come from a more sincere place. Um, but 
when we have well, a, I, I can't believe a ghost would even care about what living people are doing. That well, that, honestly, that's it. Where it's like, why would this ghost thing, if it, if it's like material that is uh, evil and is no longer in our plane, it doesn't work like a human does. Why would it just wait in the basement upside down? Because it's like, yo, I'm, I'm really gonna get her good by hanging upside down and then yelling at her. It just, it feels so so silly to me it happens again um when uh quinn and her dad are searching the vacant apartment and they follow the footsteps to that window and then you see the footstep right below the window on the wall which one and then the window is smashed first off i'm like okay if the ghost thing is just is gonna jump out the window why the hell did it take one final step on the wall besides to make it look uh abnormal to the dad that the footprints on the wall and and the dad looks out the window sees a body lying on the ground he says oh man it, it jumped it's on the ground out there and then she looks out and because she's our main <laughs> character i guess the ghosty scares her and i just don't i don't understand and i feel like such a liam they were such meeting a, the quota yeah <laughs> that's right like no i like i just for the quota i mean like it's it's upside down ghost that's twice a normal ghost. Oh. Yeah, I know. And I, I feel like... Now, such if a... you can get two sideways ghosts in there next to each other, oh, man, that's triple the points. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I feel I feel like such like a such a spoil sport for not being able to go along with it, but it's just, it doesn't Welcome get it. Welcome to my world. It doesn't get it for me, and I know that sometimes it does get it. Like, the, con- the first conjuring, I think, is absolutely great at making those things feel natural and 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 ouija origin of evil which is uh on our list um by another great director mike flanagan um he came in and he he did a similar thing to lee Wanell, but i think he managed to meld the mainstream horror stylings with a sincere story and unique but uh but um natural scares in it and so i've seen this sort of thing done where it doesn't make me question these sort of things and so i think it's just a it's a shame that i wasn't able to get there for this one yeah sometimes it's just how it happens i don't know yeah i i kind of i was sort of i was kind of checked out at a certain point too not underwhelmed because i didn't really know where to put my expectations but i'm certainly like somewhat disappointed yeah definitely the worst thing i've watched on this show so it it is worse than the French Connection too. Yeah. Okay. You, you know what else confused me about this movie was that she had friends, like she had a like a a, a dude that's interested in her romantically, and she's kind of interested in him. And I a feel best like friend. and a best friend. I feel like both of those things went absolutely nowhere. I think the closest we get to <laughs> feeling like that matters is when um she's talking to the neighbor over text and she's knocking on the wall and knocks are coming back and then we learned that the neighbor isn't actually home and so there's some ghosty shit going on but besides that i i think that um uh it's like those characters were set up to be bigger but then because we had to have elise take up a significant amount of screen time um the the characters got left aside i i think that similar to um the whole wheelchair thing by the end of it i was thinking why did we give any time to those characters because it felt like uh it went nowhere and i think that the time would have been spent uh better elsewhere 
Yeah, uh, just make the movie about Elise more. There you go. Guess we <laughs> need to get to the f- we need to get to the fourth one and see where we're at. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, have you made it all the way through your bread? Oh no, I'm gonna be here for like a few for like a, it's gonna be around for at least a few more days. I'm I'm really fighting against the mold at this rate. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see it on the podcast again next week. <laughs> yeah, Last maybe, weekend, maybe so. it depends what I see on the wheel. Uh, shall we head to the William Castle Film Genero? Yeah, I have nothing else to say. All right. How many things we got on that list now, Liam? Uh, let me see. And while I'm looking, I'll just say watch Poltergeist 3 instead. Watch? Fuck yeah, actually. Apartment building. Yes. Supernatural. Yes. Yeah. About a family and grief. Yes. Old lady that explains the otherworldly stuff, other stuff going on. Old lady that explains the stuff going on, yes. Yeah. Insidious is very much poltergeist, I'm sure. Oh fuck it, dude. Poltergeist three is so good. Uh Corey, fuck. we have we have two hundred and seventy seven. Okay, so it's a bit longer. Not not a crazy jump. Two hundred and seventy seven, you said? That's right, yeah. I'm seeing some stuff I added in the last week that's it's, it's good stuff. Okay, are we ready? Is everybody good? Everybody feel comfortable? Yeah, spin it. Three, two, one, spin. Two hundred forty seven. So not quite the middle. But a little bit lower. A couple weeks ago, this would have basically been the end of the list. So once again, we're ending up with uh, some recent additions. 247, you say, Corey? Yes. All right, everybody. So above this pick, we have The Woman in Black 2. The fuck is that? That is the sequel to The Woman in Black, which starred Daniel Radcliffe. It was his first big movie after Harry Potter. It's a gothic, ghosty tale. I actually kind of like it. Okay. You've seen it? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Well, there you go. And beneath it, we have 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, fuck. Have you seen that one, Corey? No. I would have loved mm. an excuse to watch that. Well, it, maybe next time, man. Maybe next time. Because... You put that on the list until 247? Um, wow. Let me see. Maybe I, maybe I doubled myself up. Okay. No, that's it. It's just on wow. the list. All right, Leo, what do we got? We have Teen Wolf 2. Oh, Christ. Starring uh, Jason Bateman. Oh. Mitch, that sounds like you might be tapping out, pal. How you feel? I think I ate too much bread. <laughs> Are you going to be out of commission next week recovering from the bread? Um, Honestly, fellas, I'm not going to say yes or no. Um... I'm so in, you might crash the podcast essentially. Maybe I'm a teen wolf and I and I yeah, I come in like halfway through howling. Um but you know, maybe don't hold your breath. Oh my god, look at this fucking poster. Oh my god, this looks oh boy. Wowie. Well, you It's also it's 87. Oh, maybe It's I also Teen what? Wolf 2 T O O as in like he's also a teen wolf. That's right. This is a uh, fuck. Honestly, Corey, I think <laughs> I think our list, our our William Castle film genero, is curate curating our podcast sesh pretty well because it feels like it's been a while since we've got a uh, a family movie, um, a, an eight a nice eighties movie, um, a, a forgotten sequel. I mean, yeah, you know, high time could, for people, one. Really, people could have guessed Insidious Chapter Three exists, but I think Teen Wolf Two is one of those things that you don't really think about. Um, so I, th- I think it's a good pick. I-, I won't say that I'm excited about it, but I will say that it's a it's a good pick, and I'll get excited about it. I- I'll smack myself into submission. 
Who the hell put that on there? <laughs> Liam did. I, I am. I am the list master on this list. He's the genuinely. He is the list master. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, there we go. We are gonna. <laughs> I'm looking at the list here, Corey, and I'm realizing yeah. that it was destined to be this way. You know why? No. Because I put Teen Wolf two on the list twice. Only ten items separated from <laughs> each other. <laughs> You were you wanted to watch Teen Wolf 2. <laughs> Apparently. And one of the times I, I did Teen Wolf 2 uh, with Roman numerals, the other time I spelt it out T-O-O. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that week was like for me. That's so funny. Um, okay. Well, I mean, I don't want to cast judgment. I've never seen Teen Wolf, and I've certainly never seen Jason Bateman be Teen Wolf. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, maybe you see me, maybe you don't. Know. Yeah, maybe you'll be a little uh, occupied. Yeah. I don't know. I might, Those... be, I might be sick. I might be in with a good love for bread. I might have a little bit of a sniff, a little bit of a sneeze. We'll, we'll, we'll put it. We'll put it this way: if Mitch doesn't show up for next week's episode, we we won't be calling the cops. We'll be all right this time. No, we know he's he's a uh, he'll be safe and of sound mind. But you know, I think uh, I think on that note, we should go prepare ourselves for Teen Wolf two and get out of here. Mitch, thank you. Uh, third time's the charm for coming on. It's been a thrill. Uh, I'm going to have a little bit more pageantry to it because we might not see you next week, so who knows when the next time will be. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a blast. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a, it's been a, a real pleasure. Um, three, third time really is a charm. Um, thanks for having me again, fellas. I will, I will be back. Hopefully, maybe if you'll have me back after Teen Wolf, or uh, or uh, you know, who knows? Maybe I, uh, maybe I, uh, I never come back. You never know. I could be. And, too- now, you're, and now you're gonna vanish into the night. I who knows when we'll hear from you again? Eating bread. But with that, gentlemen, I bid you both a good evening. As you. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Holy shit! That was one of those classically Winnell jump scares. That sounded like the end to the first Unfriended movie over there. Holy Christ! Um, well, th- I need to, I need a second to breathe. So we need to we need to send a demonologist over to Mitch's house yeah. with that life raft. Maybe there's something in that bread. Anyway, do you want to plug your stuff? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Okay, bye bye. I thought you had already. No, no, I just dropped my uh I dropped my pen. <laughs> that wasn't you <laughs> leaving? Oh my god, that's so fucking funny. Um well hey, you guys can find my film writing, Alter Ego Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price, and you can check out me and Final Neil on our show MK Podquest, where we are almost done rewatching and discussing the classic uh, fantasy action martial arts, deeply horny television series Mortal Kombat Conquest, MK Podquest, everywhere you can find it. And um, with that out of the way, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet. On Twitter at they made another, which is all one word, on Letterboxd T M A O, you can rate and review us on whatever services of the following allow: Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, every other podcast service in existence, probably. 
You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and who you think should be podcast master. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Soundboard clips that I can't currently use are courtesy of Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. That's it. With that all out of the way, thanks again, and we'll catch you here next time for more They Made Another One.